Bibles tonight, and I trust you do, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to be talking about the amazing grace of God. Uh, boy, we could park on that for a long time. You can testify of God's amazing grace and what it means to you, uh, receiving what we do not deserve. And uh, I am so thankful for the grace of God that allows us to have a salvation that we do not deserve. A promise of heaven that we do not deserve. Uh, but praise God for his amazing grace. But in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to see grace found in a man's life extended toward another. And so let's read there a familiar story about Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, uh, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? Now this is exact opposite of what they would normally do at this time in, in, the, in the history. Uh, the king, when a king would come on the throne, they would oftentimes kill all the other descendants, all the family members. But David is not that way, not an ordinary king. And Ziba said unto him, or said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of uh, Machir, the uh, son of Emil, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the uh, son of Emil, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was uh, coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertaineth to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruit that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons. Boy, that's a great family, isn't it? And, uh, and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for, for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was uh, Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Father, as we look into this passage again, stir our hearts, and may we see applications here in this passage that we can make in our own lives. And as we do so, Lord, may we be humble enough uh, to uh, allow you to make the changes that need to be made. And so, God, have your way in our hearts tonight and speak to us through this passage. And we give you all the glory, for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ferrillo 
Fiorello, I can't even pronounce his first name. I thought I had it down uh, because I've heard this name many a times in history. It's LaGuardia. Now, you've heard that name for sure. But he was the mayor of New York City during the worst days of the Depression period on through World War II. Uh, he was the mayor during that time. I've shared this story, but I thought it fits so well here. Uh, he was the kind of guy, he was just involved in everything. He would ride along on the fire trucks and just to be involved and know what's going on there. He would ride the, uh, along with the police officers and they would have, uh, uh, you know, just on some night he had picked. And then this particular night we're going to be talking about, he came to the night court they had going on in New York. And he dismissed the judge and said, I'll take it from here. And so he did that. And he's one of the first cases that came before him was an elderly woman in tattered clothes, and uh, she was charged with stealing a loaf of bread. And she told LaGuardia that her uh, daughter's husband had deserted her. Her daughter was sick, and her two grandchildren were starving. But the shopkeeper that owned the, the loaf of bread said, if I, I'm not going to drop charges because if I do, then everybody will be coming and stealing, kind of like they're doing today. But uh, if I do that, so he said, no, I, I'm not going to drop the charges. And so LaGuardia, he, um, he kind of felt bad and because um, the store owner told him, he said, it's a real bad neighborhood. I'll have nothing but trouble if I do that. And so he, uh, he turned to the woman and said, I've got to punish you. I don't have a choice. The law makes no exceptions. $10 or 10 days in jail. But even as he pronounced sentence, he reached in his wallet, pulled out a bill, a $10 bill, and gave it to the, uh, uh, the fellow and said, Here, here's the fine, and it's paid. And furthermore, I am going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a city where this kind of thing has to happen, where an elderly lady uh, cannot even have money for food uh, for her, her uh, starving grandchildren. And so they collected 50 cents uh, fine from everybody. In fact, even the store owner, he gave us 50 cents toward that. And they collected $47.50. It was turned over to the, the elderly lady there who was just bewildered. And, um, and then even all these uh, convicts that were in there, the criminals that were there, they gave the uh, judge or LaGuardia a, a standing ovation. And because of that uh, fair uh, uh, passing of the judgment upon her, but that was, in essence, grace. Boy, what a, what a uh, real illustration of grace. It recognizes our wretched condition. It pays our debt. And it gives us more than we could ever imagine. That is amazing grace that every one of us as a Christian have experienced. And so no wonder they call it amazing. The passage that we uh, read here tonight in, in 2 Samuel chapter 9 provides, I believe, one of the clearest pictures of the amazing grace that is found in the Word of God. God uses David as a living illustration of what grace is all about. And so, first of all, we see grace is offered, um, in this case, to Mephibosheth. And, and in fact, David's looking for anybody. He's looking for someone that's related to Jonathan and Saul. And the purpose for this grace there is found in verse 1. David says he wants to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Kindness. Translated goodness, mercy, favor, and loving kindness. It is the Old Testament equivalent 
or the word is, is, that is equivalent to the New Testament word grace. And so David is showing grace uh, to anyone that's related to Jonathan and Saul. And again, it's amazing that David desires to do this. And a, a member of Saul's family, you remember Saul was trying to kill him for years. He, Saul was his enemy. But David uh, wants to show anyone related a kindness. And so David had the right to execute judgment as the new king, but he chose to demonstrate grace instead. Now, David did this not because the house of Saul deserved it, but he did this because of his relationship with Jonathan, who was his best friend. And because he had promised not only Jonathan, but he had promised Saul, too, that he would not totally destroy their offspring. And so he's true to his word. And so this grace is extended because of another. Uh, no wonder grace is called amazing. I mean, think about it. God extends his grace to a people that does not deserve his grace at all. Uh, his love, his mercy, none of those things do we deserve. And in fact, if we received what we deserved, it would be eternal hell. That's what we deserve. Uh, you know, all these, you, you see so many protesters right today. One of them, if not most of them, are paid. Uh, but that's another story in and of itself. But protesting, you know, they have their rights and this and that. And, but if we got what we deserve, it would be. And I'm so thankful for the grace of God uh, that made it possible for us to have salvation. The soul sinneth, in the Bible it says, the soul that sinneth, it shall what? Die. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. And so it's very clear. Yet God extends his amazing grace because of another. He reaches out to a fallen, depraved sinners because he loved his son, Jesus Christ. And because Jesus died for us on the cross of Calvary. And so neither you nor I have anything to merit us to God that earn his favor, but because we only can come to him because of Jesus Christ. That's where our, uh, the righteousness that we take upon ourselves on salvation, that God, that we are justified as uh, if we have not sinned at all. Jesus died for us on the cross, and we can experience God's amazing grace because of what Jesus Christ did, because of another. And just like Mephibosheth and his family was experiencing the grace of King David because of Jonathan, because of another. And so we see the purpose now, the who of this grace. We already have read that, but when David decides to extend his grace, he does so without any limits at all. He's looking for, look what it says there in verse 1, any, any, A-N-Y, any that is left of the house of Saul. Now, this was the house, again, I remind you, of his bitter enemy. But uh, that didn't matter to David at all. Uh, he he uh, placed no limits on this grace. Anyone related to Saul or Jonathan, he wanted to do kindness for them, show grace to them. And so he placed no limits on it. He was willing to extend it to any member of the house of Saul. The key word there, again, in verse 1 is obviously the word any. 
And, I, you know, that. thank God our Lord's amazing grace knows no boundaries. Amen? It doesn't matter the, the race of the individual. It doesn't matter the, the uh, financial standing of the individual. It matters not where they live. It does, none of those things matter. It has nothing to do because none of us can merit our favor from God. It's because of Jesus that he extended our, uh, his grace toward us. So it's offered to all men, regardless of their past. That's the word in the New Testament. We like that word, whosoever. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And uh, it has nothing to do with their social standing, their good deeds or bad deeds. God doesn't reach out to save the righteous. The Bible tells us clearly he came to save this sinner. He came to save. He extends his grace to whosoever will. Anyone. Isn't it wonderful that sometimes in society people are written off? They're, they're, they're said to be of no value to society. They may be a criminal. They may be totally dependent upon society, and therefore they're a nuisance. They're, they're, uh, uh, they're maybe into drugs and alcohol. But what society says, they're no good. They, they will never amount to anything. God can step in and his grace can make something great out of that person's life. We've seen it played out time and time again. But in Mark chapter 2, 17, God extends that grace to whosoever. Revelation 22, 17, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Matthew eleven twenty eight, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. John 7, 37, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. It's open to anyone, any man, woman, child, and so praise God, there's no limits, no limits on anyone who can, uh, on anyone that can come, or anyone can come to God and can be, find salvation. That's how you and I receive it. We don't deserve it, but all can have it. And I, you know, that, that is truly amazing grace. I love the story of Mel Trotter. Some of you know that name. Um, this was a long time ago, but... He, uh, he was an alcoholic, and again and again, he promised his wife that he was going to give up the drink and, and, uh, for good, but uh, I think one time he, he managed to stay sober for about 11, 11 and a half weeks, but it didn't last. Uh, another time, he sold his only horse to uh, uh, pay for a round of drinks at the bar. He even committed burglary. He was, uh, it, you know, anything he could do to get more money for his alcohol. And, and his wife, and he had a child, a little boy, and these, these two suffered terribly because of his sin. And uh, Mel, he came home after drinking uh, for several days. He finally comes home, and he said, here's what he, in his own words, he said, I went home after a 10-day drunk and found found him dead in his uh, mother's arms. I'll never forget that day. I was a slave, and I knew it. It pretty nearly broke my heart. I said, I'm a murderer. I am anything but a man. I can't stand it, and I won't stand it. I will end my life. Uh, he didn't have the courage to end his life at that point because he, he was afraid of God's judgment, and he had good reason to be. Well, uh, two hours after the funeral of his boy, he staggered home blind drunk. And on this day, January the 19th, 1897, 
Mel Trotter, he made a decision, I'm going to kill myself. He was in Chicago. He walked the streets of Chicago. He was going to go down to Lake Michigan, throw himself into the icy cold waters of Lake Michigan and kill himself. But it just so happened. No, it didn't just so happen. God led him right by the mission. And so there in, on January 19th, 1897, determined that he was going to kill himself, he came to the door of the Pacific Garden Mission. Uh, Harry Monroe, who himself had been an alcoholic, and shared his testimony. And when Mel Trotter walked in, he stopped preaching and he, he prayed for this young man, Mel Trotter. And, uh, uh, he, uh, and that had a profound impact. He said, save that poor, poor boy. And that night, he answered the invitation that was given by uh, Brother Monroe, and he came and received Christ as his Savior. And I, uh, he, he said, um, or someone asked him later, how he knew he was saved. And here's how he replied. I was there when it happened, January 19th, 1897, 10 minutes past 9 Central Time, Pacific Garden Mission, Chicago, Illinois, USA. And three years later, he was asked to uh, head up a rescue mission, and he started many all across the nation. God used him. That is what amazing grace is all about. That truly is amazing grace. Can take a wretch like that, one who would, who would uh, even at the... Uh, uh, death of his own son still go back and get blind drunk and uh, uh, who knows had it not been for that that uh, craving of the alcohol his son uh, may have lived if it had not been but that's that's the as we talked about this morning that silver cup that awakened uh, Mel Trotter that got his attention and no wonder it's called amazing and then the response of this grace there in verses 1 through 5 David discovers uh, that there is indeed one of the, Jonathan's sons yet alive. And uh, the response of grace is not to ask, well, what kind of man is this? Uh, is, is he you know, a good citizen? Is he kind? Is he a hard worker? No, it didn't matter. Uh, it didn't matter that he was even crippled. It didn't matter to David at all. The response of grace is to ask, where is he? And that's what he did there in verse 4. And as soon as David hears where this man is, what's he do? He sends his servants to fetch him. And that's the word that's used there, the word fetch. Uh, Grace said, I'm not concerned about his condition. I want him just like he is. And so it is with the, again, the amazing grace of God. Um, he does not look upon us and concern himself with how crippled spiritually we are or we were before salvation. Uh, he didn't see uh, how unworthy we are. Uh, when grace fixes its gaze on the one that is crippled, a crippled son of Adam, he, it, um, it cares for nothing but fetching us to itself. No wonder it's called amazing. Well, then, uh, secondly, grace is accepted there in verses 6 through 8. Mephibosheth is one of the few remaining members of the house of Saul and he's living at a place called Lodabar. Um, now, no doubt, he's a poor man, and he's a crippled man, as we see there in chapter 4, verse 4. It kind of tells us the story there. He was five years old uh, when his dad died, and his nurse, in a hurry and trying to get out, they dropped him and uh, crippled his legs as a young boy. And he lived in fear and misery. He was warned, you know, hey, when David gets the throne, he's going to kill you. 
and you better hide out here. You better lay low. You better not let anybody know where you're at uh, because that's what happens when a new king comes on the throne. David will find you, and then one day it happens. Can you imagine the sound of the horses, the chariots? And he heard them coming. And he looked out, and he saw the ducks as those, uh, that whole entourage was coming for his place. He said, this is it. I can't run. Uh, there's no need to even try. And so uh, they've come to get him, and they thought that this, this is, it's all over. Uh, David's going to kill me or at least throw me into prison. And, and so he uh, is going, the guards, they come in, and they uh, go to see the one man, or take him to see the one man that he never wanted to see, and that was King David. He didn't want to see him. And the chariots arrived there at the king's palace, and Mephibosheth is carried in before the king and uh, before his presence, but it's nothing like Mephibosheth imagined it would be. He has entered the presence of grace. And now I want you to see how he accepts it. First of all, he throws himself on the ground, and, and uh, uh, he shows reverence to David. But, uh, but, he, but he receives the grace that David offers with humility. Verse 6, when Mephibosheth comes into David's presence, he's aware that as a descendant of Saul, he deserves nothing but the judgment from the king. Therefore, he humbles himself in the presence of David. Secondly, with happiness, in verse latter part of verse 6 and verse 7, instead of judgment, Mephibosheth experiences tenderness, kindness from the king. He hears David call his name, and then, to his amazement, he hears David speak peace to his heart. And this is nothing what he expected. He hears the king as he promises him restoration of all the wealth and the glory of his father and his grandfather and all that belonged to his family. It was his. And so then the king uh, just gives the icing on the cake here. He promises to give him a place at the king's table. And, um, and it's with a happy heart that Mephibosheth embraces the treasures of grace. And then with honesty, look there again at verse 8, the children of Ammon, oops, wrong chapter. Verse 8, chapter 9, he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? He's overwhelmed by the grace that he receives and he acknowledges he is so undeserving of such love and, and such mercy. Nothing is ever going to be the same for Mephibosheth uh, in his life again. Now, that is a gl glorious picture of a lost sinner that comes and experiences the wonders of God's grace. And when the, the king first calls, there is fear um, brought about by conviction. When he first heard they're coming to get him, he thought, this is it. I'm dead or I'm in prison for life. It's over for me. And there's fear. You remember when you before you got saved that day, that night, and how you were under conviction, you realized you were a sinner, you realized you were guilty before a holy God, that you deserved to die and go to hell, and uh, uh, there was fear in your heart uh, before you came into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ who accepted you by grace. Um, and so uh, with honesty, he comes before David here, and that's how we came to salvation. We knew we were lost. We knew we were undeserving, and we called upon God's grace to save our soul. And so um, the sinner knows that he deserves nothing but judgment and damnation, 
from the hand of God. Yet the call comes, and the call cannot be denied. When the sinner responds to the call, and, when, and, and you remember that night, that day that you got saved, that you responded to the call of God in your life, and you responded and you were ushered into the presence of the Lord. Uh, and, and what a glorious time that was. And you fall before in humility and reverence and worship, but you also become a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the amazing grace. And he uh, restores the sinner, and everything that sin had taken away, God restored. We were uh, now, for the first time, uh, in his family. So if you experience God's saving grace, it is overwhelming. Think back, remember that day that you were lost and headed for hell, and you were brought by the Spirit of God into the presence of God. When you realize that, yes, you deserve all this judgment, but there's a loving God who died for you, took upon himself all the, the punishment that we deserve. And, and so he, we are left, we, we came to him with nothing, and we left with everything. We came to him a lost sinner bound for hell, and we walked away that day, that night, uh, headed for heaven. What a glorious thought. And what, what a great, wonderful, matchless, gracious Savior we have. And so when his grace is embraced, everything changes in our life. Did that happen? I mean, I know it happened in my life. If you're truly born again, it happened in your life as well. No wonder. It's called amazing. And then last of all, we see grace provides. And verses 9 through 13, Mephibosheth, he came to David. He uh, didn't get what he deserved. He received grace. And when he received grace, he also received more blessings than he could have ever imagined. Not only did he have the grace of not being thrown into prison, not being killed, and what a joy that was, uh, what a relief that was, but also David says, I'm going to give you everything, all this land back to you. It's going to be yours. And you're, not only that, you're going to be in my family now. You're going to sit at my table. What a blessing. Our grace provides a future. God gives us a future. Uh, don't your, don't uh, your heart just go out to those people? They have no idea. Um, none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow, but they have no idea of, of the grace of God. They have no assurance that they, they are going to be okay. They try to convince themselves. And maybe they try to drown their guilt and their shame uh, with maybe alcohol or drugs or whatever it may be. Uh, but uh, they don't have, they haven't experienced the grace of God that you and I have. And he received grace here, Mephibosheth did. And he also received the more blessings. In Lodabar, Mephibosheth had nothing. He was poor. He was uh, an outcast. He was a fugitive. He had no hope, no future at all. And all he had was a pair of crutches, and pretty much that's it. And, but when he met grace, everything changed. All of his present needs were met. All of his future was now secure. David said, you're one of my family. And so if somebody comes after you, they got to go through me. I'm going to take care of all of your needs. All of my wealth, it's, it's going to be provided for you as well. Grace gave him something he never could have had in Lodabar. 
Grace gave him a future. Grace gave him all uh, 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 the uh, plenty of the king. And the uh, same thing is true for every one of us as a believer, what grace has given us. In Adam, that you could say is our Lodabar, we had nothing in Adam. We were lost and undone without God, without hope, without future. And we were nothing more than like uh, uh, Mephibosheth here, outcasts, fugitives. We are running for our lives from a holy God who actually possessed the right and the power to send us to, to a lost eternity in hell, but who was pursuing us to save us, to give us that future, that eternal life. And when grace was offered, and when we accepted Christ, we accepted that grace, everything changed. What sin could never have given us, it became ours in Jesus Christ. And so for the first time, after we got saved, we had hope for the future. We, we didn't have to live in fear any longer or guilt. We had security, as the Bible tells us over and over. Uh, Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man, any man pluck them out of my hand. A home in heaven, John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Our needs would be met uh, uh, by uh, the riches of, of the glory of Christ. Uh, his presence all the way home that he's promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. All the way to glory, I'll be with you. And I'll be with you forever. That is what grace gives to all of those who embrace it. That's what you have, Christian, tonight. If you receive Christ, no wonder it's called amazing. Grace provides a family. Mephibosheth was adopted out of Saul's family, and now he's adopted into David's family. Uh, grace gave him something that he did not have before it was extended to him. Grace gave him a family. Oh, what a joy it is to be a part of the family of God. Every day, Mephibosheth was reminded by surroundings, by the, the surroundings of the palace and by the presence of the king that he was truly a recipient of the grace of this good king. He was where he was because of the grace of King David. You know, that's how we are as a sinner. When, it, when we responded to the call of grace, when we were born again, when we were saved, that you know, as a sinner, we were immediately adopted into the family of God. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. And John 1, 12, Romans 8, 15, ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 5, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Ephesians 1, 5, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. He's taken... Uh, out of Adam, that sinner, that, where we all were at one point, we were taken out of Adam, that doomed race, and placed into Christ. Colossians 1.13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. 1 Corinthians 12.13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews, Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit in adam we indeed were doomed and we were destined uh, for punishment but in jesus we are destined for life first corinthians 15 22 in adam all die in christ all shall be made alive grace 
took us from our Lodabar and brought us into God's family. 1 John 3, uh, well, I'm not going to read all these verses, but just this one phrase, beloved, now are we the sons of God. Praise the Lord. Grace did that. None of us deserve it. We weren't born a son of God, a child of God, but we were adopted into the family of God when we received Christ. And may we never forget that we have what we have, that we are what we are simply by the good grace of a holy God that loves us. No wonder it's called amazing. Grace provides fulfillment. Um, Mephibosheth was a nobody in a house full of uh, somebodies. Uh, there was Absalom in that house, a perfect young man, handsome. But he did, he, at the time, his heart, there were some problems for sure. There was David's other sons, I'm sure all healthy, strong men. There were uh, David's beautiful wives and his daughters. Uh, there was Joab, the general, proud and strong. There were princes and princesses, soldiers and statesmen, men of wealth and men of power. All of these took their place at the table of the king, King David. But then, as they all gathered, there's the sound of a cripple. You hear him coming down the hall, dragging his feet. And you hear the clump of the crutches. It is Mephibosheth. And he comes in. And he sits with all of these others who are what we would call somebody because he's a part of that family. All the privileges is his. And then when he takes his seat and, and that tablecloth falls over his legs, he looks just like everyone else there at the table. Grace took a nobody from nowhere and made him a child of the king. Oh, what amazing grace we have experienced from God. And so that's the power of grace. It takes a lost sinner. It changes him completely. It gives him a seat at the Lord's table. We are a part of his family. It takes us from our Lodabar and makes us one of God's children. It puts us on even footing with all the rest of God's precious saints. God doesn't play favorites here. The ground at the foot of the cross, as so uh, rightly has been said, is level. We all come to Jesus Christ the same way a lost sinner in need of a savior and so when when you embraced his grace he elevated you to a new position thank god for that we are a child of the king you're now uh you know you think about all those great saints of the old, in the old testament even in the new testament and we're not under them abraham moses joseph isaac we're not under uh, the apostles or any uh, other saints of God. You are his child. You are seated at his table. And his, you know, his grace has taken care of your past and uh, of all the infirmities that you've had, all the flaw, uh, flaws and failures, his grace has taken care of all of those. That's the power of grace. You are on equal footing. I, uh, I thought about uh, singing this song, not myself. I thought this would help. But I, I think what I'll do, you know the song. Uh, I, I, this poem that she wrote, uh, Julia Johnston, really uh, puts it well in this, in, in, to words here. And it's the grace greater than our sin. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. 
Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, brighter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his saving grace. No wonder it's called amazing. Uh, have you been fetched? I know everyone here tonight has confessed. Yeah, I've been fetched. There was a time in my life I was lost, and maybe you weren't even looking for God, but God brought you to a place where you were uh, uh, had nowhere else to look but up, and you called upon the name of Jesus Christ to save your soul, and he fetched you that night, that day. And if you're saved by the grace of God, then you know what I've been trying to say tonight. You know the reality of that grace. You know what it is to be adopted into the family of God and to be uh, now a child of the king. If, and if, uh, if you're not saved, I would encourage you, take care of that tonight. Don't put it off any longer. The grace is extended to all, to all. And let us never forget that, Christians, of God's good grace. Let's not take it for granted. We ought to spend some time tonight even thanking God for his amazing grace extended to us a poor wretched sinner undeserving as we are but yet now we walk as a child of the king and a home in heaven secure with his presence always with us what a what a joy we have because of his grace well let god have his way here tonight let's pray together